let's turn in our Bibles or tablets, etc., to Deuteronomy chapter 26. Deuteronomy is an Old Testament book. It's the fifth book, so it's close to the front. It means the second law. That's what the word Deuteronomy means, the second law. So it's a reminder that Israel, when, they, when, when Israel was delivered out of Egypt, the whole generation that came out of Egypt, because of their rebellion against God in the desert, all of them except for two people and their families passed away out in the, in the wilderness. And so the new generation that was, that was, that was coming up, that was going to enter the promised land, they needed a refresher of all the things that their forefathers had learned and been given in the giving of the law. And so that's what Deuteronomy is. And it's in Deuteronomy. Now, kids, um, I know you're not, in, not having Kids Way Worship this morning, but it's still Kids Way Worship now. And so I'm going to ask you a question based on something that you learned last week. How many countries celebrate Thanksgiving? Yeah, seven. That's right, seven. Now, I did do, do a little bit more research and on the internet, some sites say six, some say seven. All right, so it's, it's questionable. One of them, I think the Netherlands is the one that throws the, the kink into the thing because only part of the Netherlands celebrates um, Thanksgiving. So some, some sites don't, don't in, in, include them. Now, so there's seven, including the United States. Which country do you think was the first country, kids, to celebrate a national Thanksgiving? Which country was the first one? All right, do you think you know, Marion? Not us. Nope. Wasn't us. Good guess, though. Anybody else have an idea? Kids? Uh huh. Yep. Banner? Huh? Not Canada. Good guess, though. It's one of the seven. But, and let me also give you a clue. It doesn't necessarily have to be one of the seven that currently celebrate Thanksgiving. Okay? What do you think, Michaela? Huh? Nope. Good guess, though. I'm going to go ahead and tell you. We're going to read about it in Deuteronomy. What country do you think we're going to be reading about in Deuteronomy this morning? Israel. Israel was the first country that we know of to celebrate a national Thanksgiving, and they did it not by the demand of some group of politicians or, or taxpayers, They did it by the command of their king. Now, Israel was a unique country for many years. They didn't have an earthly king. They didn't have a person, a man, a king or a queen in charge. God was their king, and he's the king that told them to celebrate Thanksgiving when they entered into the promised land. So we're going to read about that in Deuteronomy chapter 26 this morning. So remember, this is, this is Moses writing and, and talking to the Israelite nation that is about to enter into the promised land. This is the new generation that got that privilege of going into this wonderful place. The Word of God says this in Deuteronomy 26, verse 1, When you have entered the land the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance and have taken possession of it and settled in it, Take some of the first fruits of all that you produce from the soil of the land the Lord your God is giving you and put them in a basket. Then go up to the place the Lord your God will choose as a dwelling for his name 
and say to the priest in the office at that time, I declare today to the Lord your God that I have come to the land the Lord swore to our forefathers to give us. The priest shall take the basket from your hands and set it down in front of the altar of the Lord your God. Then you shall declare before the Lord your God, my father, and he's speaking here of Jacob, whose, whose name was changed to Israel. He said, my father was a wandering airman, and he went down into Egypt with a few people and lived there and became a great nation, powerful and numerous. But the Egyptians mistreated us and made us suffer, putting us to hard labor. Then we cried out to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice and saw our misery and oppression. So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, with great terror and with miraculous signs and wonders. He brought us to this place and gave us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now I bring the first fruits of the soil that you, O Lord, have given me. Place the basket before the Lord your God and bow down before him. And you and the Levites and the aliens among you shall rejoice in all the good things the Lord your God has given you and your household. And so we continue. As we were singing this morning, we were singing many of our own stories, many of our testimonies. We were singing of how he's taken us from darkness into light, how he's forgiven us of our sins, how he's given us the ability and the desire to praise his name. Where did it start? God knew that as he was setting this special nation, Israel, apart from the rest of the world, from the rest of the nations, making them unique. And in fact, one of the uniquenesses was that he was their God. They didn't, I mean, their king. They didn't have, their, they didn't have a, a, a regular, normal king like other countries. They turned to him as their king. And he knew because of who he is that they needed to remember what he had done for them and that he was worthy of their praise. See, he's the only one who starts out knowing that. Until he reveals himself to us, which he's done in many, many ways, including through his creation. How many of us, you know, during the, during the last few weeks have seen glimpses of his glory in the things that he has made? The things that we've seen. Some of, some of us have traveled in the last couple weeks and seen, seen his glory in, you know, in beaches and in mountains and, and, and all those kind of things. But some of us, it was just staying close to home and noticing the leaves or, the, or just the amazing November weather that we've been enjoying. Some of us have seen, have seen wildlife. Some of us with the scope of a camera, others of us with another kind of scope. But we've seen, we've seen the beauty of his creation. We've seen deer and bunnies, some lingering snakes make it out to the asphalt 
just in time for the cars to come by and, and flatten them. But we, but we see all these things, and we, and, we, and we wonder, what an amazing God that, that does this. God knew Israel needed to, to learn that, needed to do that. Because realize this, most people don't. The other nations of the world weren't doing that. This was going to set them apart, that they would be a thankful nation, that they would be a thankful people. Now, God gives us these Old Testament stories. And remember, these Old Testament stories happened in real time in in real people's lives. Remember that. But the promises that he makes, the commands that he makes in the Old Testament aren't necessarily commands that we have to continue to follow today. Because as he was setting them apart, he was doing, he was doing special things. And all of those special things were, going to, were pointing to one person, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you read your Old Testament, remember the, the statement that the Apostle Paul makes in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. When he, when he says this about the Old Testament in verse 11, all these things, the good things and the bad things, remember, the Old Testament is very, very realistic. Somebody recently gave a, gave a, a friend of their, or a child of, of one of our members, gave a friend of, of theirs a Bible. And they started reading it. And their parents stopped, stopped letting them read the Old Testament because it's too violent. And it is violent. It's a, it's a very realistic book. And it's true. These things happen. God didn't hide the faults of his children Israel. They were real people, struggling with real things just like we struggle with. And he showed them grace and redemption just like he shows it to us. And so Paul says this, all these things happen as examples for you and were written down as warnings on you, and this is how he describes this, on you upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. You see, those of us who believe in Jesus, the one who fulfilled all of those Old Testament stories and all of those Old Testament sacrifices, those of us who believe in him have all of the promises of God given to us. And so we look back in the Old Testament like we're doing this morning, and we look for lessons for our lives how God called them to be a thankful nation, then we look at ourselves and say, are we a thankful people? This isn't about the United States and whether the United States is a thankful country. It's about us, the believers in Jesus Christ, upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come, that we would also, like Israel, recognize our need to be thankful. We need to be thankful. He is worthy of all of our thanks. And sometimes we, we, sometimes we lose sight of that because we get focused on the difficulties of our lives. And we, like Israel, we go through really difficult things. Thanksgiving is, is a time sometimes of just too much sorrow for some people because they remember the pain of losing some people that they love that, that Thanksgiving reminds them of. Real pain, real loss, real hardship. 
But like Israel, who, who went through terrible things, individual Israelites went through terrible things, and as a nation, they went through terrible things. First, their, in, their enslavement by, by Egypt. A terrible thing. But this story, they're going to the promised land, and when, they, and when they take possession of it, and remember, God is giving it to them. God is giving them that land. They didn't have to earn it. They didn't have to clear it. They walked in, and God gave it to them. Oh, it was through battles. But God, when, when the Israelites obeyed, God, as you find out in the, in the book of Joshua, the next book after Deuteronomy, God did all the fighting for them. You see, it was time, God said it was time for him to judge the Canaanites, the people living in the promised land. He wasn't giving it to Israel because Israel was good or better than the Canaanites. He was giving it to Israel because he was calling them out as a special nation that he was going to raise up his Messiah through, the Lord Jesus. And as he was giving them this land, he was also judging the Canaanites for their rebellion against him. Because the word of God tells us throughout Old and New Testament that God judges the sin of mankind. He judges all of our sin. And he judged the Canaanites and gave that land to the Israelites. Not because the Israelites were better. He even said at one point in Deuteronomy chapter 9, as he's getting them ready to go in, he says, you're not better than them. In fact, you're a stiff-necked people. That was his opinion of his own chosen nation, that that he was going to bring the Lord Jesus through. They're a stiff-necked people, just like us. See, we can identify with that, because that's our problem also. But he delivered them. He delivered them from slavery and brought them into a land just as he's bringing us into a land. No, not a physical land, but he's given us the promise of eternal life. That promise of eternal life that he gives to all of us who put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is one of the ways that we overcome the difficulties of this life. Recognizing what he has in store for us. That while this life is difficult and hard because of sin, our own sin and the sin of the world, it's a difficult, hard place to live. But as he brought redemption to the children of Israel, again, through his mighty hand and outstretched arm, as he describes it, through terror and and wonderful signs and wonders, as he did that work bringing them out of Egypt, that's a reminder to all of us who have been delivered by him. All of us who have put our trust in him and recognize that we have an eternal hope. Regardless of how things are going right now. And again, sometimes right now is tough. And sometimes right now lasts a long time. But he has made these promises. And so the Apostle Paul encourages us as we look at these Old Testament stories, as we look at this story right now from Deuteronomy 26, the institution of the first national thanksgiving. He wants us to remember our story, what he has done for us. Oh, they're, they're supposed to, to, to recite that brief history of, of Israel, how God brought them into Egypt, out of Egypt, and into the Promised Land. He wants us also, when we give thanks, to recite our story. How he brought us out of slavery, whatever slavery it was. Because we were slaves to sin. And all of us, his word says, and we know from our experience, all of us are sinners. 
And he brings forgiveness to all of us who call on his name. So he wants us to remember that. He wants us to recite that. He wants us to go back in our minds when we're giving him thanks and to think back before we knew him. For some of us, it wasn't that long ago. For some of us, it was a long time ago. He wants us to go back and remember that. So when I, when I do that, I go back to that, those efforts I was making as a boy growing up in church, a church just like this one. I go back to that boy who was making every effort to be as good as I could and failing miserably. I don't know about your children, but my parents' children weren't that good. Especially the two boys, of which I was the youngest and the smallest. Now, I'm bigger than him now, but it took a long time and a lot of pain to get to where I am today. And I... And I and I remember the, the fights. I, I remember, and we had, we had pretty good fights. Um, to the point, actually, that our, our, our dad's mom, our grandma, Grandma Rop, she finally told my dad and mom, you can bring the boys up, but bring them up different weeks. She, didn't, she wasn't into refereeing like my mom was. You know, mom had, mom's, mom's refereeing, you know, when they, when they bring the people together, the, the fighters together to, in the middle of the ring to give them the, the rules. Her rules were this, when we start fighting, take it outside or I'm calling your dad. All right? So that was the, that was, the, my grandma didn't want to do that. So she'd just bring them one at a time. I knew that I was a sinner. I knew that. And I was hoping I could be good enough. Hoping that if, if I went to church enough, if I learned enough Bible stuff, if I prayed enough, if I did good things, hoping that, that, that I'd be good enough. And then my older brother, my friend and enemy, he was baptized. And I thought, that's it. That's the, that's the missing ingredient. That's the missing thing. I'll be baptized and then I'll, then, I'll, then I'll make sure that my good stuff outweighs my bad stuff. So I told our pastor, I said, I want to be baptized. He said, great, let's talk about it. So we got together, and he explained one verse of Scripture. So th- this, is part of, this is part of my story. The Israelites had their story. One verse of Scripture. He explained it to me. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And he explained that to me. And I understood wages because, you know, I worked. I mowed lawns. You know, I made five bucks for using my dad's mower and gas to, you know, mow the neighbor's lawn. I made, I made five bucks. I knew what it was to get paid. I knew what wages were. He said, Dean, that's what you deserve for your sin. You would deserve payment. And God calls that payment death. Not only dying, but being separated from him forever because of our sin. That's, that's the, the way it is. And that's what I was afraid of. He was basically telling, telling me my system wasn't going to work. And then he said this, but read the next part. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. We earn death by sinning. But we receive a gift. He had given me a Bible that day, a, a little New Testament. And he, and he asked me, Dean, how much did you pay for that Bible? 
I said, nothing. He said, that's right. A gift is something that someone else pays for and you get to enjoy. That's what Jesus did for us. He paid for our gift. He paid for our eternal life by what he did for us on the cross. Remember, that's why we have this cross up here, to remind us of our story. He died on that cross because of our sin, knowing that we needed to be forgiven. He, know, he knows the way it is. He made it like this. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Eternal life is ours when we believe in the Jesus who died on that cross and then rose again victorious over death. Believing that he did that, he gives all of us who believe that gift. That's why the Apostle John said in John 1.12, even though most people didn't receive, his, receive Jesus, says this, but to those who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And my pastor that day said, Dean, what's keeping you from receiving Jesus today? And I said, nothing. I was so excited to find out that I wasn't going to have to be good enough. That there was no way, because I knew, I knew I couldn't do that. But he told me that Jesus is good enough. And if I receive him, I'll receive the gift of eternal life if my sins are forgiven. And so I received him that day, and that's part of my story. That's part of the way I give God thanks, as the Israelites were taught to give thanks. By reciting their story, we recite our story to the Lord. And not just to the Lord, to others. Let other people know. I mean, I just recited mine to a lot of people. Of course, I had an opportunity. So do we, so do all of us, to let people know our story that we praise God for what he's done in our lives, that we couldn't do it on our own. None of us could be good enough. No one is. But Jesus, the perfect son of God, and remember what John, um, John the Baptist called him? Behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, the lamb of God, the one who fulfills all of these Old Testament sacrifices, even the sacrifice of the first fruits. Jesus fulfills that. We don't, we, don't have to, we don't have to come to church or, or, or find a priest at the tabernacle or the temple to bring a, a basket of our first fruits. We don't have to do that anymore. Jesus is made us the first fruits. That's us. Remember, we're the ones upon whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. And so we give him thanks for what he's done. Oh, not just that he gave us breath to breathe. And and that's an amazing thing in itself. Just think about that for a second. When you you think about uh, how wonderful God is and what a great creator he is, think about about what it takes to keep us going. We've got to breathe in this invisible stuff that this amazing machine that he made, this body with all these different mechanisms in it, that this air, that the, the, the chemicals, the elements of this air, the good and the bad, they go in 
and the bad stuff goes out and the good stuff stays in and enables us to do what we do. It's amazing. Just that is amazing. If that's all he did, that would be amazing, but that's not all he did. We think of the great things that he's done for us. And we give him the praise because he's the author of it. Now, the difficulties, because we live in this sinful world, we can be forgiven of our sins and we're still going to have to go through the difficulties of this sinful world. These bodies, for example, they break down. They break down. Some of us are tired of the body breaking down. And you know what we're supposed to do when we get tired of it? Remember, there's coming a day when he's going to give us a body that's not going to break down. And in the meantime, we have something to do with this breaking down body. We have somebody that we can encourage. We have somebody that we can pray for. We have somebody that we can tell of the hope that we have for an eternity with the great God of glory. No matter what our difficulty is, it's temporary. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, he said, therefore we do not lose hope. Though outwardly we're wasting away, Yet inwardly, we're being renewed day by day so that our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. He said in Romans, there's no comparing our present sufferings with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. No comparison. We're not even going to think about the difficulties that we went through or that we're going through right now. They're going to be gone because of the glory that he is going to share with us for eternity. And so we look to that glory, the glory of God, the blessings of God in our lives, and the the future blessings that he's bringing. We look to those things and we say, we are not going to lose heart. We can do this, whatever it is, we can do this. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4 was telling the Philippians that sometimes he went through really lean times where he was hungry. And there are other times when his, the, the, the churches that, that were supporting him that he started, that were supporting that the money came in and he said I, I, he was living large. He said, I know what it is to, be, to have plenty. I know what it is to, to be in want. He says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Whether we're we're in a a season of plenty or in a time of, of want, we can do it. We're not alone in it. Because when we receive the Lord Jesus Christ, he sends his Holy Spirit to live in us, to give us the strength that we need. As we learn his word, as we share together with the body of Christ, he gives us the strength that we need to overcome whatever difficulties we're facing and to shine in them for his glory. That's a picture of the history of Israel. That's also our picture. The Apostle Paul says in Romans that he ingrafts us into the 
olive tree of Israel. He makes us a part of that nation. And those in Israel who don't believe in him, they're cut off from that olive tree of Israel. And so all the promises that he made, the future promises that he made to Israel, those are promises that we look forward to, including the great promise of eternal life. Let's bow together for prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you this morning that we get to live in one of the seven countries that has an official thanksgiving. Many of us took full advantage of that this week, and we thank you for it. But Father, more than our thanksgiving as a country, we thank you for the ability to give you thanks every day, all day, for what you've done for us in Christ. You did many miracles as you delivered Israel, not only from Egypt, but also as you brought them into the promised land and as you sustained them. You did many, many miracles for them. Father, you made many, many miraculous things happen to bring us to a point of putting our trust in Jesus. Father, you've done some miracles in some people's lives here this morning or online with us this morning who haven't yet put their trust in you. We pray that you would do the greatest miracle of all in helping them see their need for Jesus and that Jesus did everything that he did for them, that they might be forgiven of their sins, that they might be given the hope, the guarantee, the promise of eternal life. Give them the faith and the wisdom this morning to put their trust in Jesus, to believe in him instead of counting on themselves that they would recognize they can never be good enough, but that in Jesus, they will become your righteousness and have the promise of eternal life. And not only eternal life, Father, but also a meaningful, purposeful life now to shine for you. As Israel was given the opportunity to shine for you in many ways, Father, you've given us that same opportunity. Help us to shine for you, whether we're having a great week or a terrible week, a great season or a terrible season. Help us to shine for you. As you called Israel to be thankful, help us to remember that you've called us to be thankful, that we would be your thankful children, giving you honor, praise, and glory for everything that you've done for us and everything that you've promised to give to us that we're looking forward to still. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.